Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. What? In and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junket Podcast, a horror podcast that despises any and all of those pimple-popping videos. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're gathering around the campfire and listening in to a scary story or three as we talk Andre Overdahl's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And if you like scary stories, you can listen in to the scary story that is this podcast by searching for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your literature hole. And if you are out on the social media, you can follow us along. Uh, we are on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it's important, especially if you're here in the Kansas City area, to follow us on Facebook. Not even just so much for the podcast. You, you don't even have to enjoy the podcast to follow us on Facebook. Right. More importantly, we link to a lot of the good horror genre stuff that's going on at the Screenland Theaters at Armor and Tapcade, as well mm-hmm. as the Alamo Draft House. And as this episode releases, uh, the following Tuesday, Terror Tuesday at the Alamo Draft House, a film is screening. It's celebrating its 20th year. It came out in 1999. I saw this film in the theater, and I haven't seen it since. So I'm kind of curious to see how it holds up, but 1999's Story of Echoes. I, I saw this movie when it came out on a rental. This was okay. a rental one, but I haven't seen it since either. But I remember really digging it, and I remember really digging Alina Douglas in this. Yeah, absolutely, and it, I think it suffered because it came out the same year, and it kind of had a similar but not the same premise as The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Which was the Another one that paranormal mystery movie took over mm-hmm. the year. I mean, that was all over. So I think I see bacon. I, <laughs> well, no, I should say ultimately, this is a film, and this isn't a spoiler, but there is no bacon in Stir of Echoes, and I, I get that's technically not spoiling anything. You do get some shirtless bacon, mm-hmm. but you don't get the real bacon. But you don't see Kevin's bacon. You don't get any bacon on the screen. This is now, the one before his claws. <laughs> that being said. Just a few nights after the uh, 20th, on August 22nd, we're going to be screening a film that we can't give you a guarantee of whether or not you will there will be bacon on the screen. Yeah, there'll be some bacon. Quite possibly. Uh, we are talking, of course, the 1983 classic Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> That's going to be wild. Every time. We've had the opportunity to see this multiple times in the theater. And every time it's always somebody's first. Yes. Or it's been a minute. And to see the reactions, because it's a fun funny mean weird odd movie and a great to see with with the crowd and that's just it it's the communal experience so even if you've seen it a bazillion times at home this is the time to come out and see it on the big screen there's something about seeing that cook get his comeuppance on the big screen that just makes everybody wince and then like all the funny like and i encourage you if you want to dress in your best 80s camp camp gear because i i will be dressed up i don't know about you genius are you gonna be be, uh so technically we will be your uh, head counselors Mm -hmm. that night if and to remember Remember, just tie a ribbon around your finger. That's right. Um. Well, that'd be marvelous of you, wouldn't it? And uh, there's going to be a pre-show beforehand, so show up half hour early for some of that goodness. Uh, And then that Saturday, (laughs) August 24th at the Alamo Draft House as part of the Fist City screenings, uh, this is another one celebrating 20 years Mm -hmm. and another one that I know we both saw in the theater. Oh, yeah. But I don't think I've seen this one on the big screen since then. No, not the big screen. But uh, Stephen Norrington's Blade. The Blade, man. The Blade. Oh, it's going to be rad. That's a great... Yeah. Naughty Vampire Gods. (laughs) Love it. Everything you need in that film, you get in the first like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's just that almost that first 10 minutes could play as a short film. And be wonderful. And you'd be good. Yeah. Yeah, no, but come out and see the entirety of the film. Uh, Wesley Snipes in all of his glory before we get the new updated Blade. See the original. See a hairy-chested villain. I like that the hairy-chested were represented in this film, (laughs) damn it. And actually, this is not going to be the first time that we've talked our love of Stephen Dorff. Go back to our gate commentary Mm -hmm. that we uh, went all over there. But um, again, follow us along. You can find all the scary stuff that we're going to be hosting. Um, And then actually, you know, we might as well plug it because technically... 
it has its ties totally into horror. But on Sunday, August 25th at the Alamo Draft House. Yes, the Ray Harryhausen mystery triple feature. That's going to be so rad. And these movies, one, I've never seen before. As have I'm I. I'm really I'm excited boat. for it. But two, oh man, two of these movies, one I grew up with and one I grew up with in the 80s that I just fucking adore. We have a 4K restoration of one of the films and we will be doing a 35 millimeter screening mm. of one of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Amber Solomon, for this one. This has been her dream for quite some time and she was nice and kind enough to allow us to host this. Yeah. So we promise we will be on our best behavior. I will make sure I will keep I will keep genius moving like a Harry Housen creation. It'll be, you know, it'll be charming, a little right? offsetting. And if you don't come, we'll release the Kraken. <laughs> no, that is going to be a blast. So, yeah, make sure, again, follow us on Facebook. You can follow along those all those kind of good things. And if you are following us on social media, I want to give a real quick shout-out to uh, Amy and Carly from the Final Girls Horror Cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were kind enough to have us on to talk the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1 and 2. That was a blast to be on. A lot of fun. So much fun. We went off the rails multiple times very quickly, but it was it was so good. It was a blast. and It was a tasty snack of <laughs> wonderfulness. Glitter. That's the yeah. only thing that was not glitter stated in that one. <laughs> Uh, but I did want to thank them for uh, you know allowing us to come on, and I cannot wait to then listen to the entirety as they fall. They go through. They're going through the entirety of the Elm Street franchise. They're gonna do the Freddy. Oh! <laughs> they will get there. They will get there. But there was actually some good spirited discussion because we were definitely defending Freddy's Revenge, mm-hmm. and they as more purist. And again, I totally get where you're, yeah. they're coming from. But so, but it was ultimately always, always love, oh. love conquered all. Yeah, peace, love, and banjo dog. <laughs> so go check them out and uh, all the other podcasts at modernhorrors.com. Um, and we're recording this on the day. It's been five years, and I hate to go on a downer, but it's one of those things. Um, Robin Williams passed five years ago today. Yeah. And I only mention that because as I was kind of getting everything put together here, I saw that on the social, on the social media, and people were posting all their favorite memories of him. And I threw on the Robin Williams Live at the Met record that I have here. And I only mention this because it's one of those things. The first time I ever saw it was on HBO when it's when it debuted. And I watched it with my mom and dad. And this was back in I think it was like either 83, 84, or 85. And I, sh- I was too young to be watching it. Right. So I was like eight or nine at that point. And again, I had permissive parents. So that same year, we went and saw First Blood Part Two in the theater. Okay, so take it as you will. But I remember trying not to laugh. At all the dirty humor, inappropriateness. <laughs> it was it was insane how like, and I'm just either, with all like the dick jokes would come in. Like, Gee, he, he, he. <laughs> but I'm listening to it again, and it's much like a lot of those old comedy albums. You memorize them. It's just like you know when you're singing along with bands, you know the lyrics. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. You know these routines, and so a lot of it is kind of hitting back with me. But man, even back then, he had, and there's a point to this actually. He had a whole um, bit on on the issues of guns in this in this country. And I mentioned that because on the Final Girls Horror cast, we had a chance, we were talking, talking about... Talking about that new movie, Hunt. The, the Hunt. And they just, we found out Universal pulled it from the rotation based on some crit- criticisms that's going on. Listen, we don't go political on this podcast. It is something we don't do. Right. I just wanted to say it's just, it's setting a really scary precedent. Yeah. It's a little weird. We come to the podcast to get away. This is a podcast of positivity. But also, I want to make sure that people out there... We don't want to be in a they live environment. You know, put your sunglasses on. Let's let's see the filters. Let's see for everything as it is. You don't have to obey. That's right. Critical think out there. Okay. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say. I'll leave it at that. Yep. So let us transition then. I, into, I personally want to watch the movie. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so do I. Yeah. So, do so I. I think. Yeah. So do I. Uh, but again, I guess going back, I'm sad Robin Williams is gone. And uh, but all that those just we live we live in a weird time. Yeah, we do. We need we need catharsis now more than ever. We need to be able to chance to get away and escape every now and again. We need horror. Yes. We need scares. We need frights. We need the thrill. We need yes. the catharsis, like you said. You know, we need that stuff. Right now is the. I think soon we will be in another golden age of horror. I think there's enough ill shit in the world right now, like in the 80s. Yeah. And it's just going to bring more and more good stuff. Yeah. And even like a film that we saw and that we're going to talk about here was one that 
wasn't necessarily, and I, I can't wait to talk about who you think this film was made for because mm-hmm. I have multiple answers on that one. But scary stories to tell in the dark before it leapt up on the big screen, it was something that existed in print. Yeah. And I'm curious to find out, Genius McGee, what is your history? What is your story? What is your origin? How far back do you go with scary stories to tell in the dark? I remember the exact time that I first picked up that book. It was at a book fair, and it was a book fair in one of the ones that were in the school. Yep. <clears throat> and was it like so, a pop up fair? Yeah. So basically, what it wasn't even a really book fair. They just put those like those the metal containers on wheels mm-hmm. filled with shelves inside of them, and then just open like four or five of them up in the hallway. And like after class, you can go and look in the books. I was maybe in about second, second grade, maybe third. And um, they had them corned off in like first grade books, or they didn't have them in like genres. Right. Okay? So like, okay, go look in the. You can go look in the second grade book, and I had like my five dollar bill that I got from my mom, and I'm like, nice. I'm go buy nice. a book, right? All excited, and I'm looking. I'm like, ooh, that one's about cartoons. I like cartoons. There's a Garfield one, I'm there's sure. A Garfield, there. Yeah, there's a How to Draw Star Wars. You know, there's <laughs> that's a good one. There's some like you know princess ones. There's ones about science. So many choices, right? Right. And I'm looking, and I'm like, nothing's really grabbing my attention. So then I look over in the older kids section, and in the fifth and up section, there was this black cover, and I couldn't see what the white picture was, but I saw that there was a little white and a little black and a little red, and I'm like, well. I, those are my favorite colors, so let's see what those go for. And I moved the book in front of it, and there it was, that grinning, yep. scary, with the, with the pipe, with the sto- the weird, deformed Popeye thing, scary stories to tell in the dark. And I go, ooh, what's this, right? And so I'm looking at the pictures, and I'm reading the stories, and I'm like, sold. And so, like, yeah, I bought it. Did you and, have to go, but like, through a beaded curtain to get to right? that area of the bookstore? Right? No, the book fair. Well, I mean, like, this. just <laughs> I would go in the gym in the back. <laughs> whoosh, just <laughs> well, see, I also then was exposed to this in a very similar way. Rather than a book fair, ours was the Scholastic Book Fair, where we had this little. It was like a J, when you got the J.C. Penny catalog back in the day for Christmas time, mm-hmm. and you'd go through and you'd circle things like you wanted. Like the weekly readers. This you had, it was a collection of the variety of books you could buy Mm -hmm. and you'd circle what you'd want, you'd order it. And then at one time during the school year, the the mail would come and you'd get your books and it would be this pile of books and oh, it was glorious. It was like Christmas day. Well, I'm going through there much like the same thing and stumble across. There it is. It's the scary stories to tell in the dark. And there were some students in my classroom that were so freaked out by that image. They cut it out of their little catalog and just like threw it away because it freaked them out that badly. They're weak, their bloodline is weak, and they will not survive the winter. (laughs) Well, and that's what's funny because then there are other folks like you and myself that kind of gravitated towards it. Like, sweet, check yes. I cannot wait to pick up on that. And then when you get that combination, and it's uh, written by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamel, and they're... That's the perfect chemistry. The the oh. pictures, the stories, and like if you read these stories, these were violent stories. These were grim, grim fairy tales. People died. And you forget ultimately a Grimm's fairy tale, the whole purpose of it is to scare kids. Cautionary tales. Yes, that yeah. is what they are from the get go. From the minute we crawl out of an ooze or whatever, we need to figure out what is gonna kill us and how can we be entertaining until you how to survive, mm-hmm. and that's what this ultimately is. Um, the illustrations that he put together, and you mentioned it, from the cover art to everything in between, it is haunting. Ex- my word exactly, haunting. It's nightmare fuel. It, to this day, it can induce terror. And I'll say this, I think the prose itself would be effective, but like a, it's that combination. Mm-hmm. It's Carpenter and Cundy coming together. Yep. It's just that chemistry that happens that just enhances it. And it's why how many years after this, it's finally up on the big screen and we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's unreal. It took a long time to get here. You would think like there would have been works in the being already made a long time ago. I mean, but even you would even look at some of the stories that were in there, how many that influenced. I was thinking one of my favorite stories. Yeah. What were some of your favorites? um, I I always (laughs) I always liked the one what the, the toe one. It was always yes. a favorite of mine. Um, but I like the one where the little girl wore the choker all the time. 
and she wore a red choker and everybody was like picking on her and like uh, but then finally like one boy was like okay well i want to be your friend he goes and she takes the choker off and her head falls off so and then there was the one about uh, the picking up the hitchhiker and it's a ghost, ghost you know yes. nobody lived here but one of my other favorite ones and they always had them sectioned off like these are scary these ones are rhyming these ones are songs the and worms go in the worms go out which played lovely in this movie we'll, but we'll get into that in a minute but then there but were the funny the ones funny ones yes i loved the funny ones the Viper was one of my favorite ones. Like, I'm the Viper and I'm coming for you. And then I'm here to vibe the windows. And when I see Mac do his, like, I'm going to be a Swedish plumber. Turn him over here to do the pipes, right? That's what I think. I'm the Viper here to vibe the windows. Hell, that made its way into a G.I. Joe cartoon. It was the entire premise of, thank you, D. <laughs> it was one of those that, I mean, it parlayed everywhere. Yeah. Um, the one that I, and you talk about it, it they, they varied. Um, I was always a fan of the funny ones. In fact, the one I always remembered because I would read the ones and get scared and I'd have to make my way to the funny ones just so I could get that other release. It was a good cathartic palate yes. cleanser. You yes. needed that. It was smart. Humor and horror serve the same purpose. You know, sometimes you just get there different places, uh, but Bloody Fingers was always one of my favorites. And it ultimately ended up where uh, this ghost haunted these people in a uh, little ro- hotel room saying bloody fingers, bloody fingers, and everyone freaks out. And finally, this like chilled out cowboy comes into the hotel room and the dude's going bloody fingers, bloody fingers, and the dude just ignoring him. And finally, he's just like, dude, do yourself a band aid. And it's just like, ha 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 ha, yeah, yeah. But um, the the black and white illustrations you talked about really reminded me a lot of Bernie Wrightson, the guy that did the Creep Show artwork mm-hmm. and then Cycle of the Werewolf. Very basic. Just with black and white, you don't think you can really create a lot, but oh my god! It rem- always reminded me of an evil Shel Silverstein. Ooh, yeah, yeah. because it's again super simplistic, super basic. But what what uh, uh, the man could do with just a couple of simple black lines, mm-hmm. uh, hollow, oh. hollowed out eyeballs, missing pieces, uh, dark shadows that look like brain dogs. Just the it, texture you got yeah. with some of it. It yeah. looked ooey and gooey, but also very fine. It looks it's, like a lot of different stuff, but it's so unique that no matter what you see, you show a picture of any of the illustrations from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and even if that person's a normie or not, they're like, that's a scary story yeah, one. That's, you know? Even if they have no context, they know that that's a terrifying of one. Of course, because I guarantee you, even if you were the, the parent of a kid that cut out that thing, they were telling the parent about it, going, oh my God, it was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Right. And it was imprinted on their brain to the point that I'm sure they got PTSD every time like the book fair came along, like, is it in there? Is it in there? But the great thing about them was they were simple enough where the children could read and understand and get the gist yeah, of it. The morality you know? tales. Right. It wasn't like complex horror. I mean. Oh, it wasn't Stephen King. Exactly. And I'm sure some of us are reading Stephen King. I'm not at two. I wasn't. But I was looking through the comic book. Well, like again, the it, werewolf. it served the same purpose. You needed a little bit of a light meal yeah. after the meaty thing that was Stephen King. And that's what it served its purpose. And he knew his audience. It was younger kids. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was always finding interesting, how it would translate to the screen. But one of the other things that I remember very fondly about scary stories that tell in the dark uh, was I was at Camp Wildwood away from my folks for a good week and one of the nights they sh- they sh- of course they gathered everyone around a campfire and they were reading scary stories to tell in the dark and one of my complaints of this film which we'll get to eventually serves the purpose of why this moment i remember so well but our counselor was you know reading into it and he was getting really into it he had his flashlight out and the the fire was dying down a bit so the flashlight itself was a little bit more intense and we needed it mm-hmm. and it came to the very end of this story and there was like, he cuts off the flashlight and there's this like pause and everyone kind of freaks out and he turns it back on and he's like, does this <laughs> kind of, a, I'm sure he's channeling you right. at that point, but it freaked me out. I guarantee you, I just went like, ah! kind of a scream, but it was one of those things. I was just like, oh my God, I was just so entranced by the prose and the way he was telling it. And like you in the book, they actually have moments of this is where when like to do that. Yes. Yeah. Because the whole idea is this is an oral tradition. Yeah. This is supposed no. to be passed down. Exactly. That's what I was going to bring. It's a compilation of all of our fears from days gone by. Yes. And it's also, in, like you said, an instruction manual on how to tell a good, scary story. That's what it's about. It Because some of the scary stories go from Americana 
all the way back to the 1700s. Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah. Is a scary story to tell in the dark. And even before fucking uh, the Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens was originally a scary Christmas story. I saw story a scary cave painting once that was horrifying. Right? You and know? That's a that's a wonderful thing. If anything, that these books, whether you see the movie, don't see the movie or whatever, and or don't read the books, you still have to appreciate that it's, it's still passing along the tradition of a scary story. So there's a lot of pressure then going into yeah. translating this into the film. Well, it's uh, directed by Andre Overdahl, who I mentioned, I, we were talking off mic, but have you had a chance to see The Autopsy of Jane Doe? I still have yet to see it. I've heard nothing but wonderful things about it. It's, I know the ending. I can okay. probably say I've seen see, that. Exactly. You know, I can, it's, but. Well, anytime you get Brian Cox in a film, you know, it adds, but it, it, it's a really good kind of a single setting location haunting film, has some genuine scares. I almost compare it to this generation's The Changeling. Ah. But works for this generation it's really really good so i've always enjoyed his work so when i realized he was the one that was putting this together i was like okay that's cool i like that choice that's the only thing he's done he's done some other work that i'm just i have not seen this i think this is his third film at this point oh, okay we would check the imdba folks but the, but the, is down. the, yeah, the imdba's down <laughs> um but no like i said I, the, the pedigree was there so i was happy with that so I was curious, though, how do they and who is this film for? Yeah, because ultimately the the material that's based on is technically for us. Wouldn't you say the people that grew up with the book? I I think the movie is for children. Okay, so I think the movie is for children. It's just another medium to translate the story. But the story of the book itself is for the adults. I think the story, the cautionary tale, the movie, the horror movie the base of it is for kids nowadays, for kids to have a good, scary movie. Mm-hmm. But the setting, the locale, the monsters, the story, the characters, that's for people who grew up with that book. That's fair. That's so. fair. Well, it's a PG-13 film. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that's interesting mm-hmm. because that's something that we'd actually very rarely talk a lot of PG-13 horror. And there's a lot of dissidents nowadays in the horror community where, like, if there's a horror movie, PG-13, hard pass. Like, fuck that. I want my guts and gore and R-rated stuff, you know? Which is fine. I mean, I'm not... I like what you like. But sometimes you don't need to drop a blood for a great scare. Not at all. And... I will say this. I know ultimately that the experience you have seeing it can really make a difference regarding whether or not you Mm -hmm. like the film. And something we talked about this year, kind of a credo of the podcast, is to promote local. Mm -hmm. And we saw this over at the Screenland Armor. Now, we just talked about we'll be there for sleepaway camp. But we also, we go there a lot of the time. To watch a movie. To watch a movie, absolutely. And uh, just to promote local here, you know, Screenland is a locally owned business. And... You know, the more you can do to support local is awesome. Again, we love the Alamo as well. Support mm-hmm. the Alamo. You can find time for both because, yeah. you know, both offer up a lot of good stuff. Kansas City is a big town and there's 24 hours in a day. And if you're a fan of genre films, man, we've got you covered. You can get at least six movies in. So, Well, and the best part, though, we were in Theater One. We're going to get very regional here, so I apologize for anyone out of that side of the Kansas big City theater. area. It is the big theater. Mm-hmm. It's the one where you go to. And the Screenland Armor, Theater One, that's the one. If you're going to see a movie in the, the- it's Screenland. That's, That's the, the one, one you want to see. It's it. the big old timey, the old Art Deco type theater, like it, the heyday, the Golden Hollywood heyday. It theaters. has this crazy golden god on the other on you know Dongatron three thousand. You'll never unsee it. Thank you, genius. <laughs> but it's also it's the big screen. It's got the the great sound. It's where you want to see it. And what's great is at the very front of the theater, you've got two sections of just awesome like couches custom like little little yeah. recliners so if you get there early you can always claim those spots but what's nice is those aren't bad seats Mm-mm. with the way everything is set up like some people are like oh i hate the front no it's a good it's a good seat i mean we're the we were in the next row behind it and they're great it seat. was fantastic they're, those are my preferred seats so we're there screenland armor genius we're watching scary stories to tell in the dark this is obviously a film a, a, i should say a property that is near and dear to your heart mm-hmm What'd you think of the film? I fucking loved this movie. This one, the opening music that kind of like harpsichord old time creepiness and it opens up very uh it opens up very silver bullety, like this is the last story, this is the last summer of my childhood and like the ill shit 1968 i don't know where the movie was going to go i saw the previews and i saw the original concept art that they had and something and it looked really good the the 
creatures looked like they stepped out of the They're, book. It was amazing. It was so amazing how they did that. I like you said, I really I I I really enjoyed the film. There was a part of me that came in a little hesitant because again, I didn't know how that was going to translate. Right. And Ultimately, what I think what makes this film works and what I want to watch it again is because if you look at it, could you consider this kind of like one of those oddly anthology films? Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this would be a good pairing with Waxworks. Yeah. Or Trick or Treat because it's a a weird anthology because each thing is its own separate story with just an extended wraparound. The wraparound is almost the mystery, which is the underdrying story of this film. And then even the part that one of the stories bleeds into at the end with the wraparound so it works like an anthology but it was so well made and genuine scare i there were some parts where i was like this is good scary yeah. stuff well i and i don't want to say this is what they, but it's almost like scary set pieces to mm-hmm. tell in the dark because all of the stories that they pulled in are the main scares we get and we get a, quite a few ultimately did you see anything in there that you were hoping for um, the the who's got my toe? Okay, the who's got my toe, lady? When she, because there's something about his the character's eyes when he when he drew oh, the the black soulless eyes and the cracks that came out of those eyes. Um, yeah, when she came up and like bleh, like that, or when you actually not even the bleh, and the when you saw her from the distance just creep around the yep. corner, I was like. Holy shit, that's genuinely terrifying. And it was very minimal as well. Yes. It was it was not gratuitous, it was not overwrought. Well, what's nice is ultimately the story of the film is it's set in so you mentioned it's set in nineteen sixty eight, which immediately that's why I was like, Who is this film for? Because mm-hmm. it's it's a teen movie ultimately, but it's set in sixty eight and it's a you know built on a franchise that was created in the 80s so you've got like multi generations that maybe they're trying to go for are they going for like every quadrant possible no i think i think what they did i think it was very smart of them to eliminate technology mm. they low on eliminate technology to the point where kids today are like well why don't you just take out your phone oh it's 1968 they don't have phones there right plus it's a good allegory for it was it was a good way to get some um allegory for today's climate without being overt there was a lot of nixon aspects of it in the 68 a lot of anti-war sentiments of it that would go over everybody's head if you're a kid or like oh it's the 60s again that's what they did in the 60s but to us who can see patterns we're like i see what they're doing so again appealing to the kids that are going to be there Mm -hmm. and because again it's a pg-13 film so you do have as long as you're older brother or sister is going with you with the folk you're going to be able to go and see this movie mm-hmm. so and that's one of the things so kids get fucked up though, they, in the movie yes they do yes kids they do get fucked up this the, the movie itself serves as a cautionary tale so it's a band of misfits coming together oh spoilers oh of course well spoilers. This, is, this is why we're releasing it a week after everything yeah. is going on but they even the basic premise isn't a spoiler but they gather around to the house they find this book uh by sarah, sarah bellows, bellows. In the old haunted house in town. Which has a story and a history. And what's there's, so there's a driving mystery to what happened to Sarah Bellows. It's a mystery. It's kind of a shame of the town. Mm-hmm. And she was trapped in this. She was the shame of the family, trapped in this place, and she was writing the scary story. Because she was weird and different, and yes. she liked scary stuff. Which is an, an underlying theme of this film is the outcast, yeah. the horror fan. Because yeah. in 1969, our char- uh, Stella, who is our main character, is a hardcore horror fan. She was wonderful in this. She was, she portrayed that horror fan perfectly to a T. Like just like Zoe Margaret Coletti. Yeah, was, she because like she's like nobody understands me, but, but my books and stories do. And like she was, she was that horror nerd in 1968. She was our Tommy Jarvis and back she, in the day. I think she did great as ca- the character. She was phenomenal. Film. Yeah, she had a lot of good acting scenes in that. No, was, I thought actually the overall cast was very strong. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the character of Augie immediately pulled some very Greg-like moves when he's like, no, we shouldn't go in there. Just immediately, I was like, yeah, he's right. It's and Perot. It's Perot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a classical character. That made me laugh. Me too. Like some classic good French, like good intellectual humor, like not even intellectual, but just the good stuff like right. that. Again, this film... Uh, he's as many uh, a multiple uh, multitude of people 
one of the experiences that I enjoyed so much is I mentioned that again, who is this film for? There were some youths in front of us <laughs> and immediately when they sat down, I'm like, Oh no youths. I got to watch out for them. And uh, it was wonderful because it was more peripheral viewing than anything. But when the scares hit in this film and we're going to talk about them, they reacted. Yeah. Reacted there was a, well. there was a moment when something like skedaddled across the screen. One of them giggled in such a way that it was the most, I don't know what I saw there, and I know I'm scared. Scared, but like, awkward, giggling. <laughs> it was, one of them like ran back from the bathroom, not in a, like a distracting way, but to get to back to the movie. Mm-hmm. It was awesome, and I I don't want to say I was like doing the Avatar, living through them, but it was I kind of nice. I think I heard someone when once the spider one started, she was like, nope. nope, and then she got out and she left, and she comes back, she goes, did I miss it? And then like, yeah, and then like, okay, good. That's funny. So there are some some they're like there are certain greatest hits. I know they're going to hit. I want to be oh, not around <laughs> right? when they hit. Because think about it. They even showed it in the trailer. How terrifying is it when like you think? Because like I'll tell you what. Sometimes if I get a mosquito bite and it gets like messed up or something, I'm like it's a bot fly. I'm on. Their worms are going to call. The worms crawling. The worms crawling. In the back of your mind, no matter how rational you are. You live in that world where oh. something laid an egg in me and it's going to come out horribly. And so like when the leg first came out, I was like, yeah, and you know, you know the story. Of course. So you know what's going to come. Well, and they hit four from the book. Uh, we're just going to go through here initially because they do introduce our our victims, if you will, mm-hmm. our set of characters here as they all inevitably go into the house. They pick up uh, Sarah Bella's book and the book itself begins to write the tales, the scary stories. With our live characters in in bloody in fresh blo- ink. yes in fresh bloody ink, which is a nice concept yeah. because then I was like, okay, that's how they're going to incorporate. I I think this is a decent way to translate that just co- collection of stories into something yeah. coherent for a film because they had two ways to do it. They could have went the proper anthology way, sure, and they could have went something a little bit different, like what they did with this one. I think they made the wise choice. Mm-hmm. Now. An anthology of scary stories to tell in the dark, I'm not going to turn my nose up and say no. Of course. But the fact that this oddly anthology worked extremely well. It's pretty sneaky. I like it. And they're playing on the whole Amblin feel right now, Mm -hmm. collection of teens. That works really well. Yeah. But again, that's what who read the books and also i should say the character of ramon showing up as well where you get a little bit more diversity yeah. in our characters and the it, the racism is called out oh yeah 68 to, to 2019 i mean it's just one of those things like you said as a kid it, it's not going to affect you at all because the scares are coming you're still having fun mm-hmm. like you said as an adult now you can appreciate it a little bit more but even with his backstory and how what the book actually does when it's writing the stories they say it in the trailer i think it's like you don't read uh, the book, the, the book, book reads you. Which, when we say it, it sounds hokey, but in the context of the movie, it's, it's genuine, actually yeah. genuinely terrifying. Yeah. Because one of the monsters is using that whole sense of what he's really afraid of, mm-hmm. not like goblins and ghosts, but being called a coward. Yeah. So, like, like almost like Latter Day Freddy, potentially. Mm-hmm. Potentially. Well, the first one that initially we are treated to is the story of Harold. Yes, which, which looked like the, the the scarecrow looked just like the picture again. Yes, yes. going from the the Gamble's illustrations to the screen, I thought that was going to be the biggest challenge because, like you said, it's imprinted on our mm-hmm. minds. We close our eyes, it's there. Yeah, if we're going to see it on the big screen, it needs to be something. Now, there is a. It's I've heard complaints that a lot of the stuff they thought was too CGI, which. I can understand because I thought there was kind of almost like a veneer of digital on a lot of the stuff, but I know they went purely practical as often as they could. Yeah. So everything you saw on screen was practical, but with some, I think, some like digital enhancements. I know that when on the on the Herald one, some of the bugs were crawling mm-hmm. all over him. That was CGI. But the base see, but is the real. face was real. It's a was a real person. And when he walked and moved. That was genuinely terrifying because you could still see everything behind mm-hmm. him. Like, and he was taking his time. And he was just chilling. Just doing well, his thing. It, it seems like once Sarah starts writing about you, you're, you're fucked. You pre- well, for the most part, unless you're, you know, creative and, you know, you can actually use your environment. But ultimately, the turn, when we get the initial kill here, and again, we're doing a week afterwards, but the kill itself is almost a la Prowler, uh-huh. uh, if you go back to that particular film. But 
what it happens adds something more. The Cronenberg esque transformation that happens afterwards, I thought was frightening. First of all, I wasn't expecting them to kill a kid yeah. that violently with a fucking pitchfork. Yes, that one, like, oh, I didn't expect that in a PG thirteen movie. No, not at all. And then all. his transformation again. Spoilers to a scarecrow. You know, if that was blood, that would have been oh. a hard, hard, hard R. Yeah. Because the straw is just coming out of every orifice of his body. It's insane. And looking. it looks and sounds painful. Yeah. It is not pleasant what is happening. I, sometimes I don't even like sitting on hay barrels because I get some <laughs> of those like straws in places I don't want it. Let alone coming out of those places that I don't want it. Fuck all that noise, man. To quote Dom DeLuise, how do horses eat this shit? And hmm. he just throws it down. Now, that one I thought was very, very effective. In fact, like I said, once Sarah Bellows really starts writing into you, you can't escape it. And that's what worked with really well with Harold. That worked well with the dream. Uh, the toe was the, uh, was that the was next gross. one. That was So the toe is built around. And the illustration I always remember was the little boy with a little toe sticking out of the ground. You didn't actually get to see what happened. But that one is built around the premise of a family that needed food. Little boy found a toe, pulls it up, they feed, and then something comes back for the toe. Got my toe. And that one was so well realized. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you just get a, a smidgen of the character. She was terrifying. Horribly terrifying. She was, a, she was one of those drawings come to life. It was insane. The detail that they put in the monsters was crazy. And each of them was so... They, they came from the same universe, but they were so distinctly mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And this also contains, I think, my favorite scare of the film, the way the, the, way the set piece is set, because Augie goes and he climbs under his bed. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm also glad we had a really good crowd at, at Armor that night, was because there's a lot of silence in that particular scene. Yeah. And there's a lot of dread drawn out from that silence. And I was a little bit dreading anyone talking, and yeah. no one did. Everyone was caught up in the scene. And then you get, and this is my, not my complaint, because I know why they did it, but I don't know if it translates well, but I think there's a lot of just horrible noise jump scares in this film. There's at least three that I just found annoying rather than scary, mm-hmm. but in the spirit of the book, I think they inserted that for a reason. Yeah, to, to make to it just, a little bit more scary. Right. And I, I, one of them, two of them were in the, the Red Room dream sequence, I know, and one of them was in that one. But I'll tell you what, that noise jump scare in the, in the toe one got me. It was a good one because it was just a flash of her face, and that was all I needed. And I was like, yeah! But when he was drug down into oh, this, yeah, the, the void, and he put his nails, and when they finally come out and they see his nails across the thing into a nothing room, I was like, man, they are fucking kids up! They're, they're I, not playing around. I think at some that may have been the point where I was like, oh, this is pretty intense for a PG-13 PG movie. This is a 1980s PG-13 movie. Yeah, that's, a, that's what this is. Again, I'm trying to figure out how they were gauging what they right? were going for with Maybe, everything. There's no blood. There's not a drop no, of blood no. in this movie. And I think that's how they got away of with course. doing that. Of course. Like I said, if they, the, the Herald one, if that was blood or, or uh, viscera instead of straw... That would be a Takashi Miike movie. Yeah, oh, oh God. You know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> it was insane. Scary, 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 scary stories. Skeeted <laughs> spiders. Oh, oh, God. But no. Yeah. So we ultimately, with the toe, we have the demise of Augie. Now, let me ask you this. I found myself kind of siding with Augie again. Me he too. Was the more, I actually thought maybe you would be more of the Chuck character. Who was the one that was always kind of like in the pranking? A and... little bit, but at the same time, I was like, Augie was funny. He was okay. That, he yeah, he was true. the he was the funnier one because he was always the one talking shit and like, okay, we're here. Like I'm Perot. That one, that one got me. That when I well, and even the Spider Man or he, the Man Spider. Yes, he looks suspiciously like a young Devito. Like I'm thinking at that I'm point, I'm a man cheat. I'm a Man Spider. That's. Next Halloween is going to be a mantis, mantis toboggan. <laughs> oh, if if he gets through it, if he gets through it, uh, I need when, this magnum book. <laughs> well, actually, with his fear, because that leads us to the other one, which is the story of the dream. Uh, the spider one was next. It wasn't that one the next. Yeah. Okay, so that is then that's the red spot. Yeah. And that's the one where we were just looking at the uh, the illustrations you mentioned. What did the illustration? Joey Ramone. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, that's even scarier. Get that yeah, in rock and roll high school. This is the one that yeah, is yeah, a but... <laughs> total urban legend. Yeah, it is. This is the one, but like you said. Well. It oh. was, it played 
did so well because the thing just got gnarlier and gnarlier and gnarlier. Well, and let me tell you, I'm 43 at this point, and occasionally I still get acne. And when I was a teenager, that was the bane of my existence. Like, I would wake up in the morning, like, going, please don't have any zits. Please don't let me have any zits. And I'd get up there, and, man, there's something just honking there, just screaming, you look at me, just keep this guy a virgin, right? Like, that was all it was. So when then you play, in th- that in itself is horrible. But then you add that, like you said, something has been implanted in me. Yeah, it's not a zit, it's a bot fly. Oh. That's what's going to happen. And just... everyone heard about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they heard from someone, from someone. It was a, like some, bit, some rural school out there. Or they came back from a vacation in Brazil. Vacation, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, they, they peed in the river when they shouldn't have. Yep. The pee hole. That's what happens in the Amazon. And and well, I think actually my favorite kind of zit gag is in Sleepaway Camp Part 2 because it's just really, I mean, it's not subtle at all. This one looked a little bit more CGI, I think, which was fine. It didn't take me out. Right. But that's actually what I w- w- immediately thought of was Sleepaway Camp 2 because it's a gnarly practical effect that's just unrealistic as all get out. But for what we saw, I thought it did work well. Mm-hmm. The, the I think the zit itself was kind of practical. But then when all the little spiders came out, that little leg, that just subtle leg that came out was just enough to give the people the heebies to the jeebies. But then when thousands emerge from your face. Yeah, it's awful. That was it's awful. That was a good one. But this is also the one that shows us that you can survive if you thankfully you had a buck flower esque mop bucket right. water right there, which I'm God sure damn it, I was mopping there. Or the Dick Miller character from Chopping Mall as well. Yeah. Either or. But no, they're able to save her from her her fear, which mm-hmm. shows, you know, that you can rewrite what Sarah Bellows is putting out. But the one that, for me, is kind of the scariest one and the one I think is the set piece that worked the best for me, along with the, the toe scene, was the one with the dream, which is the red room. Yeah. Which is that smiling... Giggly. Oh my goodness. Humunculus. Not quite a humunculus, but it's, a humongous. Yes. It's, it's scary. Yeah. It's very scary, especially in the dark. It's one of the, in the way it's edited, this is like a creature that's almost like the, is it the Weeping Angels in Doctor Who? Mm-hmm. When if you look, look away, away from it's a little bit closer. Every time, you know, he kept turning, he would see this thing. There was just no escape. And that started actually really affecting me to the point and even worse when he finally is enveloped by this thing because every time he'd turn and eventually it's it just right en- there. it encompassed and it just hugged him out of existence mm-hmm. and just smiled the entire time like <laughs> oh it was just, so scary oh my god just absorbed that kid it was horrible yeah it was pretty good and no go on no no go ahead go ahead uh no he sh- that thing was just creepy looking and again taken straight out of the book it was it was probably my favorite now the two then that weren't in the books from as far as i know are the the creepity man the raggedy man if you Mm -hmm. will which i thought worked really well i thought he was great yeah that almost had a cronenberg-esque kind of feel to it i thought it was just when the head came out and this rolled around, and oh. then he smiled. It looked like the worm monster from Poltergeist 2. Oh, that little snarl it does? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, forget that thing. And then with the body parts, and then the way he just moved and could configure. Remember when he came out of the police station, and he was walking on all fours, all creepily, and everybody was like, ew, he reminded me of Extro. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, let me, somewhere in my notes, I literally have the Extro, like yeah. that little moment there. And that's actually when I heard... Plenty of people react. Go, and moving. Yes. Something moving that unnatural. There is something always unsettling about that, but it adds that. It, and part of it, I know, was definitely CGI, but the way they shot it, for the most part, I couldn't see where it was overt. Right. Or if we're going to watch this many years from now, go, oh, that's so fake. And or, you got a big, creepy monster that could fall apart at a whim and put himself yes. back together in any configuration he wants. There's got to be some sort of CGI. There's no stuntman I know. That's I mean, good. I know there's like. I mean, sure, they can find people like missing limbs and stuff, but not ones that can like put different ones on in different random places. No, it's like I said, I was having so much fun throughout mm-hmm. the film where I won't lie. A few of the times I was in the issue like, wait, what, what are we doing with this film? Then I, once the, the mystery kind of came in, the thing that I really enjoy about this film and what's interesting to me and what I think what's kind of cool with what, what horror can do mm-hmm. is empathy is what actually leads yeah. to our heroes solving the problem. 
if you will. Yeah. It's identifying with what Sarah Bellows was going through and just say, listen, I understand what was going on. What you went through was a travesty. We understand that. How can we help you? Right. You know, let's redirect this stuff. And well, she said, you're the victim in yes. this story. She yes. goes, and how we need to, yeah. we will do whatever you need to do. Just stop with the rage. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it calm was, your ass down. Yes. <laughs> you know. Stop killing everybody. We got a, we got a, it's a, you know, ghosts are from Mars and spirits are from Venus book here for you. You know, right. it'll settle you out. Now, ghosts of Mars. I really, oh God, <laughs> speaking of weird transitions, I really like that. And it was something that struck me when it happened. And I think some people might find it cheesy, but I don't think it's cheesy because spoiler alert, the people that died or were gone are still gone at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, they're not dead, but they're we, definitely dead. There's something going gone. on. I think the one that's dead is the one that turned into a scarecrow. A scare, yeah. There, he's gone. Oh, it's it's frightening. But the ending is very open ended. Mm -hmm. It leaves us for more scary stories to tell in the dark, and then maybe scary stories, scary, scary stories to tell in the dark three, which is how the book series went. I'm for it. I, I'm I'm interested to see where they go with this. Like I said, I I would have preferred they would have kept. I understand why they have to keep it open ended. I'm sure they've got a two picture deal after this as long as they make money. But that's the other thing. I'm glad that we had a decent crowd there because these mm -hmm. are the kind of films that need needs not your help, but I said, but anything that's it's actually got a pre existing IP. I guess I does you know it's actually has that going for it as well. But the theatrical experience is Pro the main thing with that. Proves that us. Uh, Horror movies need, can still be a money maker yeah, if they're very good. Very true. Very true. If they're good, you know. And this is also one that you can take with your kids. This is a good. This would be a gate. This would be an advanced level gateway film because it is pretty intense it's and scary. scary. I mean, there's parts where I mean, and I'm a seasoned horror vet, but there was some feelings of extreme dread. dread, especially during the toe one. The toe one, I think, was the scariest one for me. But the uh, we toe a man. It was probably the coolest one for me. So are you glad that one worked as well as it did? I did. I yeah. was really glad. All of them worked. Everything about this movie worked. The cinematography worked. The story worked for me. The music was fantastic. Yeah, I really like the music. old school. And it had a reverence for horror. Yeah. No, you know? it's definitely. And you know what's nice? It's a Halloween movie. It's one that you can throw in the Halloween rotation yeah. now. And again, I, I was finding myself like, like with the main character with the girl i was like you're amazing you're an awesome girl because she's over there quoting night night of yep. the living dead and she's writing scary stories and i'm like that's good that it's showing that everybody can appreciate horror and it starts young yeah. no nobody's like i'm 48 years old what's this horror business about you know what i'm saying well and then even if they do horror is pretty it's, inclusive it's, yeah. yeah there's always everybody. gateways mm -hmm. and quite honestly this could this will be the gateway for someone to start going into going back and reading the books guaranteed there are going to be a lot of people that never heard of the book that are going to go, oh, that's where that came from? Cool, let's check it out. Or people have, I haven't read that book in, in years. Ages, I'm yes. going to go read it because I saw the movie and it was great and I want to see more. Yeah, so it's. I'm glad to see it work. This I was like, I really did think it worked well. Mm -hmm. I've heard people that are, again, they had some issues with it, which I understand, but you know what? I had fun with it. I'm glad I saw it. Was it a perfect movie? No. no. But was it a damn fun one? Yes. Was glad it a, I saw it with you all. Was it, it was a, good. Yep. Was it a good horror movie? I would say yes. I would say this would be a buy. Made even better at out. Screenland Armor. Yeah. And you know what? If you're not seeing, uh, you know, scary stories that tell them dark there, go and see something local. Support local. You know, go say hi to Abby, mm -hmm. to, uh, to all of those cats, you know, and they're working hard for you. So treat them well. Treat them well. See something um, scary. Final thoughts on scary stories. Like I said, I really, really hope they make another one. I want to see more scary yeah. stories to tell in the dark. I would actually, you know, and if I would say this is the chance where they can do the Halloween-esque thing where, you know what, there's other scary stories elsewhere. We don't necessarily have to follow them. Maybe we follow some other people and then down the line, Bring all their back. stories meet together mm -hmm. and we get the omnibus scary stories there or something like that. So it could, it could happen. It could happen. There's a lot of good scary stories out there too. Now, uh, before we go, we do want to do, oh, go ahead. Oh, say listeners, tell us what some of your favorite scary stories oh, yeah. are. If they want to make more scary stories, what Can ones should they up? include? So, but remember, it's got to be from scary stories to the dark. No, I heard this scary story yeah. in this one thing. Like, well, that doesn't quite count. So yeah, the, the, the men's room stall, scary story regardless. <laughs> ah, ah. We're not allowing that. We're not allowing that. 
No, but uh, and again, staying local here, we haven't done this in a while, but we wanted to do a little Rotten Rentals recommendation. Yes. Uh, Rotten Rentals, one of our favorite go-tos for genre, art, leisure, good stuff to hang up uh, on your walls. Genius, what is Rotten Rentals? It's a treasure trove of good shit. So basically what they do is they take those old school 80s VHS clamshells from back in the day and they have the original very cool artwork of all these cool horror movies now there's no vhs inside of it but what is inside of it are trading cards figurines um just a bunch of cool cool little horror related things and uh, they, those make for great collectibles but and i've got uh one two three four five six i have a plethora yeah. of them showing up and i'm proud of every single one of Me them too. i mean if you're a genre fan you want to have these makes my uh house look like the horror section at the video store i know it just adds it's to that area great, isn't it? so one of the many uh, recreation clamshells you can get is a film that we talked a little bit about but immediately upon after the film you were like you know what this would make a great double bill with trick-or-treat michael doherty's trick-or-treat which yep. is one i i was i saw that at Screenland, uh, the crossroads. Now this is going way back. The seventeenth in Washington days. Yes, nice. Way way back in the day. Nice. And it was through Reputation because that was another one through like Chud.com. Yes, all of those websites. See this movie. And it just so happened that it was screening there, and it was wonderful because I had heard uh, this was another one that there was a lot of hype around it. Mm -hmm. And at that time, though, I didn't read too much into it. I still went in with lower expectations, just had such a blast with it. It was so much fun. You know, I was thinking, going back to Scary Stories in the Dark, because that kind of made me think about Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat is in my Halloween rotation. Mm -hmm. Would you put Scary Stories in the Dark when it comes out on your Halloween rotation? Absolutely. You totally can. And I think this is why it would make a great double feature, because one is a straight anthology. Well, you know, some people even consider it's an od- oddly anthology. It's an anthology yeah. because the, the, the stories intertwine and go back and forth into time. So even so. that would make it a fun yeah. double feature. Ooh, that's a nice, that's next year's, not, not, remember how we did the oddly anthology? Uh, oh yeah, the, yeah. Coming Potentially, up. well, yeah, yeah we, and we've Down actually, and we should say, uh, October eighteenth will be Nerdween five. Yeah, uh, we will be three mystery films, three horror films built around the theme. Shall we go ahead and give it away? Uh, killer nouns, killer nouns, nouns that kill. Uh-huh. However, way you want to put it, you need to be out on the lookout for nouns. Uh, and then the following night, the nineteenth. At screen at the Alamo Draft House. Dismember the Alamo. Four mystery horror movies. Two and 35 millimeter. Oh, those are going to be right. And we we have locked in the lineups for all those. So, again, and if you you can follow us along at Facebook, you'll never be out of the loop on all those things. So, check out Rotten Rentals. Yes, rottenrentals.com. Even if you're not a horror fan, they've got genre stuff. We have a customized UHF. Yeah one from them so they're phenomenal and the um um, i'm gonna blank on their names but it was a local couple that took over that they are kansas city born and bred so again we're wanting to promote local screenland armor screenland tapcade rotten rentals all those and then some please go out and support your local kansas city scenes a lot of cool shit kansas city horror club included yeah we got we have such sites to show you coming up there too so keep in tune yeah so Thank you for, uh, this was, like I said, I'm just glad to have seen it in the theater with yeah. my friends. So thank you for that. I wanted to go read the books as soon as we got out of I the know, theater. I know. I was like, I want to see some more scary stories and read some scary like stories. Like I said, as long as they reverse engineer into all that, it's doing its job. Mm-hmm. So until next week, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Yeah.